Hey y'all, Jen and Lindsay here from Corpus Delicti Podcast, here to tell you to check out our show. If true crime is your thing, it's ours too, with a touch of lightheartedness and a dash of Southern charm. We cover compelling cases and crack them open for you. Serial killers, hitmen, historical hallmarks, we've got it all and bring you new episodes every Tuesday morning. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and most other podcast apps. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter too. That's C-O-R-P-U-S-D-E-L-I-C-T-I. See you Tuesday. Please listen carefully. Salutations, toppers, and welcome to episode 34 of the Turn of Phrases podcast. Thank you for lending me your ears today. If you're listening to this episode the day it dropped, then we're two days away from Valentine's Day, so I have love on my mind for the theme today. And once the episode is over, I think you'll love, let me rephrase, the blooper reel that plays after the outro. So stay tuned for that. Now grab your box of chocolates and come along with me as I lovingly explore today's phrases, origins, history, and more. Before we get into the phrases, let's look into the origin of Valentine's Day itself. We have to go back pretty far into old-timey times for this one, to the 3rd century, to be exact. It all started with Emperor Claudius II's desire to build a better army. Unfortunately, he thought the best soldiers were single men, and thus he declared it illegal for men to get married. However, a Catholic priest named, you guessed it, Valentine, didn't agree with the emperor's decree, so he continued marrying couples in secret. The secret didn't stay so secret, though, and eventually Claudius found out about it and sent Valentine to prison. While awaiting his impending death by beheading, Valentine was visited several times by his jailkeeper's daughter, and they grew close. As the end of his life was drawing near, he sent a letter to her, which he signed, From Your Valentine. This is thought to be the first official Valentine's card. Now, we celebrate this holiday on February 14th because it's believed that Valentine was executed on that day. There was another man by the same name executed on February 14th as well, but it was in a different year, although in the same century. So, even if the signed letter never happened, the fact that two men named Valentine were killed on the same day, albeit different years, could be the source for the date we celebrate a holiday by the same name. Another theory, however, is that Romans had a belief that birds picked their mates on February 14th, and that led to the date becoming a romantic holiday for humans as well. The only problem with this theory, though, is that it seems as if this idea didn't come about until Geoffrey Chaucer wrote about it in his poem, Parliament of Fools, which he wrote around 1375 a long time after the ancient Romans were doing their thing. Here's what he said, quote, For this was sent on St. Valentine's Day, when every fowl cometh there to choose his mate. End quote. No matter the exact origin, the tradition of sending cards began sometime in the Middle Ages, and then grew in popularity in the Victorian era. By then, they were highly decorated and usually sent anonymously. So, now that we have a brief history of Valentine's Day under our belts, let's get on to the phrases. The first loving saying I want to look into today is to tie the knot, 
This is a way to say someone's getting married, but what do nots have to do with marriage? Well, actually, a lot, at least in old-timey times. The most commonly held belief for this one goes back to the Celtic marriage practice of hand-fasting. This was sort of a non-official marriage ceremony in which the hands of the bride and groom were tied together. I say sort of non-official because from the point of the hand-fasting, after one year and a day had passed, the bride and groom had to make a choice, part ways or stay together. If they chose to remain together, the marriage became legal at that time, and they'd have a second hand-fasting ceremony. The expression is strengthened by the fact that knots are seen symbolically as unbreakable promises in many cultures. This lends itself to the saying because saying a wedding is tying the knot implies that the promise between the bride and groom is unbreakable. Some people still place a sash or rope over their wrists during their wedding ceremony to invoke the symbolism of this old-timey tradition. As far as in writing, the connection between marriage and knots likely goes back as far as the tradition itself. But the oldest I could confirm it was in writing the way we use it today was in 1717, in a poem called The Progress of the Mind, written by Matthew Pryor, an English poet and diplomat. In this poem, he wrote, quote, So to the priest their case they tell, he ties the knot. End quote. I think that tied that up tight. So, let's move on to today's next phrase, head over heels in love. This idiom means to be completely swept off your feet by the feelings you have for someone. But before we get further into it, I should mention that it hasn't always had the in love at the end. At first, it was just a phrase to suggest feeling overwhelmed or knocked down by something. The in love was added later, and I'll get to that in a bit. This saying has intrigued me for a long time, since unless someone's upside down, their head is always over their heels. But now I know the reason it is what it is, so now you're about to know as well. This is a saying that has been flipped turned upside down since it first appeared. When people first started saying this one in the 14th century, it was said as heels over head, which seems to make a lot more sense. It was meant to imply a person was doing a cartwheel, somersault, or other such flip. Knowing this, to hear a person say their heels over head in love with someone immediately presents a mental picture of them being knocked off their feet by their love. While no one seems to know exactly how or when in love got added on to the end of it, it was likely after the phrase got switched around. This is believed because of when they are first thought to show up in print. For the first known use of the modern-day order, we find it in Contemplative Man, written by author Herbert Lawrence in 1771. He wrote, quote, He gave him such a violent involuntary kick in the face as drove him head over heels. End quote. So about 300 years after heels over head first came into use, it was being used the way we say it today. It's believed by most that the main reason it got switched around was simply for phrasal elegance. Basically, head over heels sounds better than heels over head, and so it became such. About a hundred years after the big switch, we see the saying with in love show up in print in a newspaper from Indiana. A June 1833 edition of the Lebanon Patriot printed, quote, about ten years ago, Lotta fell head over heels in love with a young Philadelphian of excellent family. End quote. 
Now that we know the ups and downs of this saying, let's explore the reason people look for love advice from flowers. I'd imagine a lot of people have done this, but just in case you haven't heard of it, there's a way to use a flower to find out if the person you love loves you back. This is something my friends and I used to do as little girls to find out if our crushes were crushing us back. But until I started researching for this episode, I had no idea it was originally referred to as the daisy oracle. As this name implies, traditionally the flower used is the daisy, which works well because of its many petals that are easy to pull off. No matter what flower you decide to question your love with, the process is simple. You pull off the first petal and say, he loves me or she loves me, whichever is appropriate. Then you pull off the next petal and say, he or she loves me not. You repeat this process, moving around the flower, and each time you pluck a petal, you switch up between loves me and loves me not. Whichever one you say when pulling the last petal off is the result of your floral quest for information. There's another version of this flowery fortune telling for people who don't want to risk any chance of their love being unrequited. Instead of the traditional verbiage, you can alternate he or she loves me with he or she loves me lots. Now, whether or not you believe a plant can give you insight into your love life, most people would agree that flowers have long been seen as symbols of love. People have been asking for love advice from the Daisy Oracle since at least the late 15th century. In 1471, Clara Hatzlerin, a nun and scribe from Augsburg, Germany, included the love-seeking poem in her Liederhandschrift, which, even though I'm sure I butchered that word, basically translates to songbook. It's almost certain that the Daisy Oracle existed before she noted it in her book, but it's the earliest known use in writing I could find. Now, I think I've completely plucked this one clean, so let's move on to today's metaphorical moment. It's just a metaphor, dude. It's a metaphor. Curious metaphor. A metaphor. That's just a metaphor. Today's metaphor is to wear your heart on your sleeve. The meaning of this one is to openly show your emotions. The most popular origin of this one also goes back to Emperor Claudius's belief that single men were the best soldiers. What I didn't mention already is that to make up for his ban on marriage, he encouraged people to practice temporary coupling. And don't worry about any little toppers who might be listening, I'm keeping this friendly to all ages. During the yearly festival to honor Juno, the Roman goddess of marriage and childbirth, men would draw the names of women, and the two would spend the next year as a couple. Upon drawing a name, the man would pin it to his sleeve for the remainder of the festival. Since he would be spending a whole year with that woman, the name on his sleeve became metaphorical for the emotions he'd have for her over the coming year. Another version of where this one got its start is jousting. Typically, a knight would dedicate his participation in a tournament to a specific woman. He would then tie something of hers, perhaps a piece of cloth from her outfit or a handkerchief, around his arm. This let anyone who saw him know that he cared for that woman. So, like the other origin, the physical object was metaphorically representative of the emotions he felt towards the woman. Whether it was because of a guy who didn't like marriage, or knights jousting, the first use in writing is attributed to Shakespeare in his play Othello, written around 1603. The character of Iago said, quote, For when my outward action doth demonstrate the native act and figure of my heart, 
in compliment extern, tis not long after, but I will wear my heart upon my sleeve. End quote. That's pretty much all I found on this one, so let's go ahead and go to the book for today's familiar quotation. Okay, toppers, I've opened the book to a section. Okay, it's not really a section because there's only one quote, but it's from Queen Victoria. And it simply says, We are not amused. There's a footnote that's much longer than the quote. It says it was a comment upon seeing an imitation of herself by the Honorable Alexander Grantham York, a groom in waiting to the Queen. Okay, so I guess he was imitating her. She didn't like it. I don't know, but short and sweet. Thank you, Queen Victoria, for today's familiar quotation. Alright, toppers, that's going to do it for episode 34. Thanks for joining me again today to turn some phrases. As I always do, I hope you enjoyed the episode and you learned something along the way. You can connect with me and fellow language lovers on Twitter and Facebook. Just look up Turn of Phrases on either site, or go to my website for links and more information. If you want to send me a message or topic suggestions, you can email me, which is brisky at turnofphrases.com, or use the contact form that's on the website. On the website, you'll also find details about the music I use in the show. If you had a good time listening, please consider subscribing to the show or leaving a rating and review. Also, if you know someone who'd enjoy the show, please tell them about it to help spread the word. Thanks again for listening to the Turn of Phrases podcast, researched, written, hosted, and produced by me, Brisky. Until next time, toppers, remember that life isn't really like a box of chocolates, because there's a map to the chocolates, so you actually do know what you're going to get. And now, this is... Let me rephrase. The first loving saying I want to look into... T- <laughs> we find it in... Con- uh oh. Contemplative. Contemplative. Whichever one you say when pulling the last petal is the result of your floral inquiry. <laughs> That's not how you say that word. Of your floral inquiry. Inquiry. In- inquiry. I-, I-, I guess I just say that wrong, but I'll go with inquiry for today. The result of your floral inquiry. I'm just going to say something totally different. Whichever one you say when pulling the last petal is the result of your floral love, is the result of your floral quest. Quest. Quest is better. I can say quest a lot easier. In 1471, oh gosh, I'm going to screw this one up. In 1471, Clara Hotzlerine, <laughs> Clara, Clara, gosh, now I can't even say Clara right. Clara, ha- what would it be, Clara, since it's German? <laughs> I can't even speak English half the time. I don't know German. In 1471, Clara Hatzlerine, whose name I probably just butchered, was a nun and scribe from (laughs) Augsburg, Germany. Augsburg? I think it's Augsburg. Kelly, is it Augsburg? You're a dog. You don't know. But you are a dachshund. You're German. You should know. Kelly? You're sleeping. Okay. A nun and scribe from Augsburg, Germany, included the love-seeking poem in her... Oh, what have I done to myself with this word? Leader Handschrift, 
leader Hanschrift. I think that's right. 